I placed an order earlier this week from this tea company in Japan, just ordering some tea. And they forced me to check male or female in the like shipping information. I was like, why do you need to know this about me? It's tea. You know, like there's no reason why they would need to know this, you know? And so, yeah, I think that the first thing, especially with surveys and things like that, is to ask, why do we need to know this? Do we actually need to know this? This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Today's episode is brought to you by Writer, an all-in-one AI writing assistant for teams. Writer allows teams to create a single source of truth for brand terms that is easy to build, edit, and share. It integrates seamlessly with Chrome, Google Docs, Word, Outlook, and now offers a plugin that brings automated brand consistency directly to Figma. Go to writer.com, yes, that's W-R-I-T-E-R.com, and see what Writer can do for your team. Hello, and welcome to Writers in Tech, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub. Uh, the UX Writing Hub is an online education platform for writers in tech. We have the UX Writing Academy. In case you want to get into the field and become a UX writer or a content designer, my name is Yuval Keshtecher, and I'm the founder of the UX Writing Hub and the host of this show. Today, we have a fantastic guest. Their name is Emerson. And I'm very excited to have you. We haven't spoke for like a year or something like that. It's been a while. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> By the way, how do I pronounce your last name? I apologize. You can just say Schroeder or just Emerson is also fine. Yeah. Yeah. Or the very German Schroeter. You can do that. But yeah. <laughs> Schroeter. Oh, I know that, that you're American living in Berlin, but I didn't know that you have like German origins. I do. Yeah. My mom's side. Cool. Amazing. How are you? I am doing well. Yeah. Adjusting to the new job. And yeah, it's good. Cool. Nice. So tell me a little bit about your journey. I know that you have, when I first knew you, you were more in the content marketing areas. Now you work as a UX writer. Tell me a little bit about your background and your journey. Sure. Yeah. So I guess, how far back should I go? <laughs> I was working in academia. I was teaching research and writing to first year university students. And as much as I enjoyed the students, I knew I wanted to get out of academia and I knew I wanted to move to Europe, Berlin in particular. And if you're a native English speaker who wants to live in Berlin, it narrows the field in terms of where you can work. And so I was looking at jobs and I came across an article by Amanda Molenhoff. I think this is how you say her last name over at Get Your Guide. And she was talking about UX writing. And I was like, what is this? You know, <laughs> It was like love at first sight. <laughs> it was just very much like suddenly it was just like I knew because I'd always had a way with words. I'd enjoyed words since I was a kid. And then I'd always found myself in customer service type roles where I was really good at figuring out what people needed and finding a way to make that happen. Right. And UX writing kind of brings these two things together really perfectly. So, yeah, I moved to Berlin. I landed a job, as you know, at Career Foundry working in content marketing. And then, as you know, joined the Writing Academy at UX Writing Hub and tremendous, tremendous learnings there. A lot I learned and especially in the volunteer project afterwards, working with Kinship. I just remember, yeah, it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. It feels like history to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also like pandemic, it's like, what is time anymore? I don't even know. Yeah. So that's the journey into it. Last fall, I started feeling like, hmm. 
maybe it's time to apply for jobs again, see what happens, and ended up landing the new gig at HelloFresh. So right. So now you're a senior UX writer at HelloFresh, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I'm happy for you. First of all, what exactly is HelloFresh? Yeah, so HelloFresh, they do subscription-style boxes. Uh, we send you all the ingredients for X number of meals, X number of servings per week. It's a subscription service. And yeah, you get the recipe cards, all the ingredients, you make your meals, kind of makes everything easy. Since, since now I'm an employee, I do a box every week and I'm making all the recipes. It's really fun. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So you told me something about that volunteered project for country would you like to tell me more about your learning experience over there that kind of set you up for your current processes as a UX writer sure so I was part of the group there was a few of us Sasha was in that group who we're still in touch so the group of us we worked with able finder or at the time they were able finder they rebranded while we were working with them as kinship so confusing though Yeah, yeah. it always throws me off just a little bit, but yeah. So we worked on, I'm trying to think now, we worked on a series of conversation prompts, so a little bit about the product for people who don't know. So Kinship is a, it's like a social media app. In my mind, it's a little bit of a dating app kind of, but not dating. It connects parents of children with disabilities. And so the idea with, we wrote these conversation prompts. So the idea would be when two parents connect, then there would be a little little prompt just to help them start a conversation based on mutual interests. And so we got to write some some really cute, some playful conversation starters where a lot of emojis involved. It was really fun. Right. Like icebreakers. That's like how we named them. Exactly. They were icebreakers. Yeah, exactly. So that was really fun. That was a starting point. And then from there we did, we wrote some emails to help with their communications around different holidays. It's a very uh, global user base that they have. And so trying to find a way to write about these different holidays in a way that was inclusive and accessible to people all over the world. Um, that was a really interesting project. And then we also worked on some user research. So we did some conversation mining, we did a user survey, and then some interviews as well to help us understand how their users The concerns that they have, privacy concerns in particular, when it comes to social media. And so this is a lot of what we worked on. I think some of the biggest learnings, interestingly enough, were around kind of across continents, collaborating across continents and in multiple time zones and finding ways to make that work, which is a really good way to workshop your communication skills and things like this. Yeah, I think those were some of the big learnings. That's always uh, one of the biggest challenges of the academy. Yeah. But honestly, I think I took a lot out of it. And with that, I think it helped kind of shape my communication skills. Now going into a new gig, being able to then collaborate with people in a much larger company than what I've been used to. And HelloFresh is kind of massive, especially compared to, to where I was before. And so, so yeah, it's helped with that. Gave me a good eye on, so I wrote the user survey that we did for this project and workshopping that with people at Kinship was really, really helpful So I drafted the survey, right? We took it into a meeting and went through, I think Pitian was in that meeting as well as others from Kinship and just really hammering down which of these questions are really necessary. What is the information we're actually going to get from people with this? And then testing it out and seeing, learning a lot and like how to craft good survey questions that actually give you the information you need, which is not... That's a challenge. It's, yeah, it's not as easy as it seems from the outside, I think. So, yeah. Amazing. I wanted to ask you, I know that you had a really cool workshop lately for, well, it 
it's not lately anymore, it was in June, but for Career Foundry about writing inclusive copy. And not many people in the community kind of aware to the best practices about that field. And I feel like it's a great opportunity to kind of chat about it and talk about your knowledge and best practices about how to write inclusive copy. Yeah, I can give you an overview. There's a lot of ways we can go at this. I think we had just written the diversity survey internally at Career Foundry. And I think talking about surveys again, like writing surveys and then finding ways to do that inclusively. So for a diversity survey, you're wanting to gather as much information as you possibly can, right? And yet you're also wanting quantifiable information. You need information that's somewhat easy to distill into insights, numbers, graphs, charts, things like this. And so kind of brought this to my mind of how do we write inclusively, provide inclusive options in these surveys, things like this, where it's still useful to companies still useful on a business level, right? Because often the solution is so for gender, for example. So I'm, I'm trans non-binary. So the gender question is like really close to my heart. But the solution of just give people an empty text field makes it very difficult, as you know, like going into this data, like after you do a survey and everybody is typed in, even if it's the same gender and they've all typed it in differently, it's like all of this that you've got to go in and, and tabulate and, and gather that and distill it yourself. So that's what brought it to mind. And I thought, huh. I wonder then, there are other ways that we can apply this. And turns out there are many ways you can apply this. Yeah, so best practices. But we've talked right now specifically about like surveys that ask the gender of the user. Right, right. Do you think it's even important to ask the gender of the user? That was a question that came up in the workshop of when do we ask this? How do we ask this? And I would say best practice number one is, is ask yourself why you need to know. <laughs> the gender, yeah, exactly. Exactly, exactly. Because how often is this actually necessary? I placed an order earlier this week from this tea company in Japan, just ordering some tea. And they forced me to check male or female in the like shipping information. I was like, why do you need to know this about me? It's tea. You know, like there's no reason why they would need to know this, you know? And so, yeah, I think the first thing, especially with surveys and things like that is to ask Why do we need to know this? Do we actually need to know this? If you're asking anything related to somebody's identity or background, why do we need to know this? What exactly do we need to know? That's another one. And it gets me all the time because, again, with the gender thing, gender and sex are two different things. And often they're conflated in forms and things. You say, what is your gender? Or what is your, they'll say, what is your sex? Is man, woman. What is your gender? Man, woman. <laughs> It's just like, wait a second, there's something going on here. And so, yeah. I think if you feel you need to ask about something like this, providing as many and the most inclusive options you can is, is the best way at that, that I have seen, that I've found. Also, multi-select, like some people have more than one gender, you know, and so like things like that where you can provide people the option to identify as accurately as possible, because if they can't, why do you need this information in the first place if it's not going to be accurate? Okay, But let's say that we need to ask that person, gender or sex, I, at this point, I'm not sure what's the difference even between sex and gender. Yeah, yeah. So sex would be more like biologically or not even biologically because that's more complicated than most people know. So generally, if somebody is asking for sex, it's often sex assigned at birth, which usually, not always, matches what's on your ID, for example. More governments are getting up with the times and allowing people to change that. But yeah, so I think asking Do we need to know what's on their ID? Do we need to know what sex is listed on their ID? Or do we need to know how they identify as a human being? And why might that be? I think it's important, like specifically the sex would be important if it's like, I don't know, maybe a fitness app or a medical app. 
or stuff like that. Yeah. And I think I saw, I saw a copy from, was that Ada Health or it was a health or medical app here in Germany and they provided limited options, but it also came with like a little, a little uh, message that popped up. They were like, we understand that this is flawed because the medical system is flawed. And so they still like provided limited options, but they acknowledged, we understand that it's more complicated than this. So even in those instances, I feel there are ways to work within a system that's limited to acknowledge that it's more complicated than that, right? All right. Like in the Hebrew language, it's very easy to exclude genders and stuff like that. It's really different than in English because in Hebrew, when you refer to a person, you need to say, it's you or is it you? And like, is it you like the masculine or the feminine version of you? It's very, very challenging because when you talk to like an audience that include men and women or like everyone, people, you basically talk only about men in general. So it's very, like you say, atem, and atem means like you and the masculine version of you. And that's a very big inclusivity challenge in the Hebrew language and writing in Hebrew, basically. Can you give me maybe more examples of like when it's challenging in the English language to create like an inclusive language, except from asking that person gender? Is there like more use cases that you can think of? For inclusive language, definitely. I mean, anything related to background, anything related to identity. So talking race is another one that is incredibly complicated to ask about if you need to ask about it in the first place. But then I think there are a lot of ways that it can, our language can exclude just very implicitly. So within a regular user flow in any given app, I think it all goes back to the kind of research you're doing. And if a lot of the research you're doing involves people who are of similar age, similar race, typically white, similar gender. If a lot of the research comes from that, it's very likely that, I mean, because the world is what it is, a lot of times we have then people who are writing copy, who look and have lives that are similar to the people who they're collecting research from, right? And therefore the copy is going to kind of match that same. So in other words, as a white person myself, if I'm drawing a lot from research that isn't diverse in terms of gender, in terms of race, et cetera, a lot of what I write is probably going to lean more towards, it's going to cater more towards other white people, right? Just because that's who I am. That's the framework I'm working with, right? And if that's the research I'm also working with, there's nothing to tell me that my copy wouldn't work for just everyone. And so I think it starts with the research that you do because there are implicit ways I'm trying to think of a good example right now. Gender, there's race. I mean, there's ability as well. I think uh, this came on my radar a lot working with kinship. I think that the turns of phrase, there are a lot of turns of phrase. And of course, I'm working in an English speaking context, right? So things that we can use, figures of speech, like blind leading the blind. Is this what's happening? No, it's a metaphor. Say what you mean, you know? So I think a lot of times if there are metaphors involved, figures of speech, things like that should really be examined because more often than not, it's drawing from an experience that is not actually your own and that isn't exactly relevant to the product itself. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So like, you know, as you said, you don't know what you don't know. I found myself from time to time like offending a group of people without meaning to offend anyone. But then I like educate myself or I ask this group of people to educate me. And I didn't know that I would offend 
that group of people. And that group of people could be a very big group of people. It can be the whole like women <laughs> that like say like listen, you missed completely this part of your audience. Yeah. I think another way that this has factored in for me is so about this is last year sometime. Last summer, I thought, you know what? I have never used a screen reader. And for anybody who uses an assistive device, like this is the way they consume websites, apps, social media, you know. I thought, why have I never used one of these? Pictures, that's how they consume pictures. Exactly. Exactly. It's all through this screen reader format. And so I thought, why have I never used one? And so I started using, I started checking copy that I wrote with a screen reader, the one that's just built into my MacBook and found, whoa, there are words that I use that screen readers do not like, you know, <laughs> really is a, I mean, the screen reader experience from what I have seen is incredibly clunky, a real design opportunity there for, for someone because the user experience of an assistive device like that is it's bumpy, you know, but a computer is going to pronounce different, like, I, as a native English speaker, you know, will understand that I would pronounce these two words differently. The computer isn't necessarily going to get that. But we did talked about like the type of words that screen readers like cannot say, but I even will add to it and would say, it's not even like the words, but sometimes something that is written would not necessarily be conversational. Not necessarily. And like when people would read it out loud to you, It wouldn't make a lot of sense. It would just make less sense. Or even like the structure of the sentence would be like, oh, maybe I should put the important stuff like in the first place so the screen readers could get into those important stuff first. So it's not even like the words that you use. It's the structure. It's the ideas. And you need to put it through a screen reader just to make sure that it's nice. Like all of the, all of the written text that we produce the hub like the newsletter the blog post even the academy went for a screen reader just for this specific reason that's amazing i love hearing that <laughs> yes but it's just a technique that make us better writers to be honest it's not even about like us being nice and kind to other you know yeah but that's the thing i think that often inclusion is seen as this sort of add-on thing that like oh okay oh let's make sure this is inclusive and accessible When really, if this is worked into the DNA of your entire process, it makes for better copy in the long run overall, you know? Of course, yeah. The best like writing advice that I received was to like read out loud my copy to make sure that it makes sense when I talk it out and it's relevant for like micro copy. Yeah, it was one of the most perspective shifting things using that screen reader the first time where I was just like, this is going to change the way I write completely. Like revolutionized it you know amazing i would like to talk a little bit about like your process so we did a transition from content marketing as a fantastic writer by the way i had a chance to work with you as a writer in like few like kind of like touch points not like directly but i did have the chance to work with you as a writer and you did an amazing job and then you did a transition to be a ux writer so let's talk about that transition so like how it's different for you like the process of you know your writing process basically I guess it's less writing, to be honest, right? It's less writing and yet takes more creativity and thought work because... Way more, yeah. Right? <laughs> because you have to say so much in so little space, you know? And any good writer tells you, any writer will tell you that that's, it's harder to do. You know, I did my MFA in nonfiction and poetry. One side of that was a lot harder, not because form is in poetry, is involved in poetry, but because... 
in nonfiction, I can write 20 pages. It's fine. In poetry, I've got a few lines, right? And if I'm trying to say something that's similar, it's just this exercise. It's an economy of words, right? But it's so much harder to find than to, to like whittle it down to the bare essence. And then if you're talking tone of voice and you're trying to get any sort of brand personality into that as well, it's, <laughs> it's work. But I think my writing process, yeah, it's quite different. So for example, so content marketing, writing a blog article that works well for the Google gods, right? I would go in, I would do my keyword research, right? I would have kind of this set. I would look at what articles do I want to interlink and take all of that information. I would build an outline. From the outline, I start fleshing it out, interlinking as I go, picking images, finding videos, all of this. And it's all very much finding a conversation with the reader in my mind and kind of just putting that out on paper, right? Because I tend to be a more conversational writer. So I'm putting that conversation out on paper and just kind of spread it out. You know, you can kind of explain something and explain it another way and then explain it another way if you need to and give examples and things like this. In UX writing, the process is much more around, okay, what is this? What is a ticket has come in here where a PO is asking for copy in this one specific place. If I'm lucky, I'm being brought in early on that process. Most of the time I'm being brought in later on the process, right? It's like very common. Just write this button copy real quick. And real quick. Yeah, real quick. It's always real quick. <laughs> it's a quick job. Real quick. And like they already decided for you like what's coming up next and what's came before that and like Yeah, exactly. All of that is already decided. So that's a challenge. That's a big challenge. Yeah. And so the challenge instead of like what do the Google gods want from me? Keyword research and stuff. It's more of like looking at this and asking POs and designers those questions of like, okay, where are people, where are users at right before this? Where are they before that? Where do they go after this? What are the next stages? And then asking specific things like, okay, if they click on this button, where do they go? And what are they going to accomplish there? Because that needs to be reflected somewhere here. So they know what to expect. And we can eliminate questions before they arise or as they arise, right? So it's a lot about asking those questions and doing that sort of investigating, asking all of that and understanding context is a lot of the work there. Nice thing um, working at HelloFresh is the user research that's at my hands is right at my fingertips, you know, and I can just kind of dig into that and see like firsthand, what do people need? So that's the process with that. In terms of like the pre-writing process from there, I write a bunch of iterations of things. Sometimes I go for a walk because I need to, to clear my head. I have a sketch pad that I use where I just kind of like will sketch ideas out if that's helpful sometimes, not looking at a screen. So there's a lot of like pre-work that goes into the sending the PO. Here are three iterations. Which one do you like better? <laughs> you know? Do you send it in like the design file or like on Jira as a ticket or something else? Uh, yeah, Jira is usually the ticketing sort of platform. And then I think it, it varies depending on how I tend to vary that part of my process, depending on what the POs and designers prefer. If it's like commenting with a Figma file, creating some sort of copy doc, I tend to work with whatever they need. Nice. I'm super happy to hear that. Like, what are you doing at Elofresh? It sounds so huge and interesting and cool. And I'm very happy for you. Yeah, I'm happy for me too. It's nice. I think I'm appreciating the opportunity to really focus on one part of the user journey instead of the broader focus. Or even so much earlier, uh, like in content marketing, it's very early in those stages, right? And this is like, now I'm writing for people who are already in the app. They've already adopted the product, right? There's, I feel like, less convincing to do and more conversation. Nice. 
what tips do you have like we're getting into like the end of the interview so my one question that I have before the last question is like what tips do you have for people that want to get into the field uh, what maybe resources like even like what books should they read or okay I'm going too broad here but what would be your first tip for people that want to get into your field so for me learning UX is the most important thing like the user experience part of things design thinking that whole mentality if you can't really get into that and be very passionate about it you don't want to be a UX writer <laughs> because there's a lot of iteration involved there's a lot of empathy involved there's a lot of really 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 knowing deep down to your core that you are not the audience for what you're writing somebody else is um, they have their needs and they're thinking about things differently from how you are I think that's important I think iteration is the other thing so like really understanding design thinking is good career foundry plug here like career foundry's blog is an excellent place to learn about design thinking I've worked on a lot of those blog articles myself really really good resource I love your And they're basically content. It really helped me a lot, even in my journey as a UX designer. And I noticed like their YouTube channel is also kind of growing pretty interestingly. Really cool content over there. So I really like it. And I would say one more thing I would add to like tips for going to UX writing is to keep a broad view of what that really means. One book that I read that I think has been one of the most impactful was Mismatch by Kat Holmes. Designing to Include is what it's about. And... The book seems very strategically oriented, like people who are like running big companies, but it really impacts the way you do everything on a very granular level. So I would recommend that book specifically, but any book that helps you to take into account a broader spectrum of humanity. Yeah. Nice. I'm sure I talked about it before in other episodes, but Ruined by Design is one of the books that I really like. I haven't read this one, but it's on my list. I need to read this one. And I'll put mismatch on my list and I'll tell you how was it. It's so good. So the last question for this episode, and this is the last question of every episode, and I haven't given you a heads up for it, so I apologize in advance, but usually we're doing some writing exercise here with the guests where we need to name the episode together. And obviously we can take it offline afterwards and talk about it. But like if you had to to kind of suggest a few suggestions about this episode. So what do you think the title should be like? We talked about like writing for inclusive audiences. We talked about like getting into the field and also the transition from content marketing to UX writing and the process. So have like a lot of interesting things. Oh my gosh, we covered so much. <laughs> we did, we did. It was a good talk. So doing the UX writing thing of saying this much in this much space. I mean, broadly speaking, how to become an inclusive UX writer. Oh, that's a beautiful title. I think we'll go for it. It doesn't factor in content marketing, but yeah. I think it's great for the content marketing because like, I guess it's a good keyword that like people will kind of find easily. And the most important, as you know, for blog posts, so podcast is the same. The most important is like the title. That's what makes people click and listen or click and read. So I think it would be a really good name. So let's go with it. If you have the meta description, you could work in content marketing and a few other, cram in a few other keywords. Don't cram them. Google doesn't like that. <laughs> all right, Emerson. First of all, thank you so much for chatting with me. It was so cool to catch up on the record. It was amazing. 
in case people want to reach out and find you, where would be the best place to do that? Definitely LinkedIn. And I have quite a few ongoing conversations on LinkedIn with people. So like, I'm happy to connect with people there. Yeah. Amazing. We'll put a link in the show notes. In the meantime, thank you everyone for joining us for another episode of Writers in Tech. My name is Yuval Keshtecher, founder of the UX Writing Hub, which is a really cool platform for people that want to learn about UX writing and content design. We have a free course. We have a weekly newsletter. We have this pod going on, a blog post that gets updated every week. So check it out. And thank you so much, Emerson, for being here today. It was lovely. Bye.